um, a month or, or so ago when I asked for any suggestions for topics. There were uh, quite a few. Fully half of them had to do with difficult people. And in fact, uh, at least one of them had to do not with other people as difficult, but with oneself as difficult, <laughs> as being a difficult person for others. And, and so, which I think all of us actually uh, probably are difficult people for others, right? <laughs> you know, and, and maybe as we explore the theme, we'll, we'll look at the question of, are we ourselves the most difficult person for ourselves? But that's, that's maybe where we, where we, where we go. But um, it's, a very, it's a very powerful topic. And I know for myself, uh, and I'm sure this is true for, for you, that I've learned so much with the people that I call difficult. Some of them whom I like, some of them whom I don't like. You know, some of them close to me, some of them not so close to me. And so it's a, it's a very um, wonderful topic to explore and encourage ourselves to, to make our being with difficult people a major part of our practice. And perhaps it's fitting to give this talk right before the holiday season. Um, because sometimes we do explore difficult experiences in the holidays, and sometimes, sometimes we don't, and sometimes it's mixed, right? I remember, I remember when I was um, a student in my um, early 20s, and I was in, in, um, in Germany for a year, and there was um, a family that I would stay with, and I was very much into trying to change the world at that time, and, and she would kept, kept on telling me, you know, um, you want to change the world, you have so much idealism, it's so hard just to be with one person, you know? And there was something that really uh, stayed with me about that comment, that, uh, that being, being with difficult people and, and, and learning from that is... Um, can be very central to our lives, and it's an incredible challenge just to learn how to, to be, with, uh, be with those who appear difficult. And there's, um, you know, in different um, spiritual teachings and some of the teachings of people we respect very much, we, we find the pointing to the possibility of learning from people who are difficult. We know that the, the Dalai Lama, for example, often says that he learns from the Chinese and that he appreciates the Chinese. In fact, in a way, he bows to the Chinese as people who he's learned from and that he can see that there were some things with Tibetan society that were questionable. And he also learns from the Chinese in terms of developing further patience and understanding. It's not to say that he at all approves of or condones some of their actions, but it's, pos it's, it's possible to, to learn from them. And there is a um, powerful uh, series of uh, instructions for working with difficult people that appear in the uh, text called A Guide to the Bodhisattva, uh, a Guide to the Bodhisattva Ways of, A Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life. And we know that the Bodhisattva is the figure who works for both the awakening of self and the awakening of others. 
And their, their passage in here, this is from the 8th century from Shantideva. And he talks about the value of having people who are difficult for oneself. He talks about um, those who wish to cause me suffering are like Buddhas bestowing waves of blessings. As they open the door for me not going to an unfortunate state, why should I be angry with them? And elsewhere he says, therefore, just like treasure appearing in my house, without any effort on my behalf to obtain it, I should be happy to have an enemy, for that enemy assists me in my conduct of awakening. So it's really pointing to the way that if learning and awakening are what we most value, as opposed to just having pleasant experiences and avoiding unpleasant, then we can actually approach our being with difficult people uh, perhaps in a, in a different way. <coughs> so before I go further, what I'd like to invite you to do is to just take a moment for reflection. And guess what you're going to reflect on? <laughs> So I want to give two very brief uh, guided reflections. So if you can take a comfortable posture. And the first is to reflect on how in the past you might have learned from someone whom at the time seemed very difficult. might reflect on some of the ways that you've learned. What qualities developed? And secondly, reflect on a person in the present who's difficult for you, with whom there are difficult interactions of any kind. I have an image of the interaction and even feel some of what's difficult right now. And ask yourself, how might I bring my practice, my mindfulness practice, my compassion or loving-kindness practice, how might I bring this practice to help guide me in my interactions with this difficult person? So what I'd like to explore are really three aspects of this work with difficult people. First, want to 
talk some about what seems to happen with difficult people. What's, act, what's the actual experience of being with difficult people? Secondly, suggest some guiding principles for being with difficult people. And thirdly, uh, identify a few practices that can really help us to be with difficult people. So I know someone, someone will probably write some wonderful book, uh, you know, something on this theme like the Dharma of Difficult People, and it'll be a fantastic bestseller. And maybe there's already a book out there. <laughs> I don't know if I want to do the further field work. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, what's, what's, first of all, what's difficult about difficult people? Actually, what's difficult is with us in some way. It's our experience of difficult people. You know, we can, we can know that people that others find difficult, we may not find so difficult. So what seems to be the difficulty in difficult people is that difficult experiences arise for ourselves, namely what? Anger. Fear, frustration, contraction, contraction envy. envy. We, some of it maybe we may maybe be receiving aggression. You know, there may be guilt and shame and um, what? Frustration, aversion. That's probably scratching the surface, right? There, what else? Sadness. Sadness. Mm -hmm. Grief. And so we could say that the... Um, whole nature of working with difficult people is in part being able to work with those kind of experiences in the midst especially of interaction or um, working with those kind of experiences on the spot. So what happens when, we're, when we have an interaction with a difficult person? Typically we have some kind of um, an experience like one of those. We have some kind of experience of fear or anger or frustration or sadness. And usually, uh, usually what happens is that it's there, we call a person difficult when, when there's a kind of a series of those experiences, when there's some repetition, and in many ways when it goes into a kind of a pattern. And the, the, probably the most difficult experiences that we have, we actually at the time, we may not even know what's happening. It may be automatic in a way. We may be uh, triggered by a person, and we may go right into the difficult state without even knowing that we're there. And we, we recover a little bit later, and we, we notice that, that it's, it's been that way. So in some way, uh, what happens with difficult people is that we sort of, as it were, we could say that we uh, are, you know, almost it's like our unconscious and their unconscious just hook in together, right? And we have some kind of automatic reaction and it becomes uh, almost, it turns into a pattern, it turns into a, some core qualities of a relationship. Um, typically with a difficult person when we're not that aware, we tend to think that the problem is with the other person. And so we, we would usually go into some kind of blaming and in some way, uh, again, when we're practicing this may, this may change, but at least in the most reactive kind of experience, we will tend to uh, see the other person as the problem. The problem is external. I'm just here being good, innocent, righteous, and the other person will be doing something that's bad. You know, I may be, uh, you know, 
one, one of the persons who I probably have talked about at times, uh, a lot of my difficult people occur <laughs> at work. And they also occur with people I'm close to, uh, which, is, which I think is the normal pattern. Uh, but you know, at, at work, what happens? One person may not, I think, you know, I t I've talked about the relationship with the past president of the school where I've, where I've taught, where I didn't feel I was uh, listened to. You know, where I would say something and the person would just say something that seemed totally um, on his agenda without even listening. And, and it seemed to, uh, I just, it triggered something deep in me where there's some kind of pain about not being heard or listened to, which is a lot of us share. And it just led to some, uh, initially, some kind of reaction probably on both parts. And I would tend to think the problem is with him. He's not listening. He's bad. Uh, that solves that problem. <laughs> At least conceptually, right? He's the problem. He's difficult. I'm just good, innocent, and I don't have any contribution to the problem. And, you know, if I can avoid him, I'll avoid him. But um, I have to interact with him, so at least initially, I would tend to see, I would just tend to see him as the problem. The problem is external, you know. We think that whatever, um, other people, another nation, a dictator, they're the problem, nothing, there's no problem with us. And we get into some uh, long-standing reactive pattern. We tend to uh, not actually even sometimes know that it's painful for ourselves, you know. And so part of what we look at when we look at the nature of having difficult people is we look at our own tendencies to, to project, to, to project outward, to see the other person as being the problem. And in fact, um, a lot of what we do when we practice is we start to uncover <coughs> the very mechanisms by which we make enemies, by which we see other people as, as difficult, the way that we tend to externalize uh, uh, responsibility on others. They're responsible for the problem. I'm not really responsible. You know, and I've, I've, I like to quote uh, Carl Jung, who has that very powerful quotation in which he says, that which we don't look at in ourselves, we will tend to externalize, project onto the other, and encounter that which we don't know in ourselves, outside of ourselves, as demonic as the enemy. <coughs> and there's something very deep in that, in that pattern. Uh, Thomas Merton said it this way. He talked about the way that our tendency to create enemies is very much related to the ways that we hardly know ourselves. He said, it is not only our hatred of others that is dangerous, but also and above all, our hatred of ourselves, particularly that hatred of ourselves which is too deep and too powerful <laughs> to be consciously faced, for it is this which makes us see our own evil in others and unable to see it in ourselves. And he's using Christian language of evil, but we could say we see the problem in others. And so we, we typically get into some kind of a hook with another person. And it, it's not to say that the other person is not doing things which are problematic. The Dalai Lama, again, is not saying that everything the Chinese are doing is just fine. There are problems with it. But we tend to get into some hooked relationship where we see the other person as difficult. And we, don't, we tend, at least in the beginning, not to see ourselves as um, contributing to the problem. We tend not to see even 
our own um, our own patterns so so clearly. So, what are some what are some guiding principles that are really helpful for working with difficult people? Um, I want to mention about three or four core principles, which I think are very are very important. The first is really to see that it's possible to learn from difficult people. To see, as Shanti Davis suggests, that we can take our being with difficult people as a starting point for practice, as really a, an opportunity for practice. And in a way, this is a version of, I think, what is a level of maturity in our practice, which I think is more like an intermediate or even advanced level, where we start being very interested in our own reactivity. We start being very interested in times when we lose it some. And we, we have a kind of a shift. We shift away from even using meditation to have pleasant experiences, to get really peaceful. And that's very, very valuable. But at a certain point, we start to get interested, in fact, fascinated by the ways that we lose it. And in this context, enemies are crucial. <laughs> um, and in fact, this is, this is the spirit of why Shanti Davis says we bow to our enemies and we say, how would I awaken without so-called enemies? How would I awaken without noticing where I lose it, where I'm reactive? And so we actually start to be fascinated and interested and say, and again, this is when we have a certain balance. You know, sometimes it's a very valid part of meditation, if we're, particularly if we've been knocked around some, to really use meditation to heal and to... Uh, be present and to, to have some stability. At a certain time, and we'll know that it's that time, we can start to open up more and we can start to say, I'm willing to look at my reactivity. I'm willing to be tested. I'm willing to take my, uh, my life as not simply about um, having pleasant experiences, but can be an opportunity to learn from what's difficult for me. You know, and and there, there's a a wonderful uh, text um, in the Majjhima Nikaya, in the text of the Buddha, where the Buddha tells the story, which I think I've, I've mentioned at least once, this wonderful story, which he gives as a story that is really a, um, an, uh, a story that has, makes the teaching point that we should sometimes be very interested in, in having difficult experiences because they can test us in ways that we both find out where we are and in ways in which we can learn. And this is the story of the housewife named Vedahika <laughs> and her maid Kali. Do you remember this story? I told it, I think I probably told it a while ago. So in ancient India, Vedahika had a, had a reputation for being this wonderful, kind person. And her maid named Kali heard that there was a good report about Mistress Vedahika, that Mistress Vedahika is kind, Mistress Vedahika is gentle, Mistress Vedahika is peaceful. Now, Mistress Vedahika's maid was clever, nimble, and neat in her work. The maid, Kali, thought, there has been this good report. How is it now that she doesn't show anger? Is anger present in her, or is it absent? Or is it just because my work is so neat that my lady shows no anger, though she actually has the capacity for anger. I will test her. <laughs> <laughs> so she got up late. Vedahika said, hey, Kali, 
What's it, madam? This is the translation. <laughs> What's the matter that you got up so late? Nothing is the matter, madam. Nothing is the matter, you wicked girl. You get up so late. And she was angry and displeased. She scowled. She thought, the collie thought, the fact is that while my lady does not show anger, it is actually present in her, not absent. And it is just because my work is neat that my lady shows no anger, though it is actually present in her, not absent. Suppose I test her a little more. <laughs> so she got up later. Then Vedahika said, hey, Kali, what is it? Why did you get up so late? Nothing's the matter. Nothing is the matter, you wicked girl. You get up later in the day. And she was angry and displeased. And she spoke words of displeasure. Then Kali thought, the fact is that while my lady does not show anger, it is actually present in her, not absent. Suppose I test her a little more. So she got up still later, and Vedahika said, Hey, Kali, why do you get up still later in the day? Nothing is the matter. Nothing is the matter, you wicked girl. You get up still later in the day. And she was angry and displeased, and she took a rolling pin, gave her a blow in the head, and cut her head. And the maid Kali, with blood running from her cut head, went to the neighbors and said, See, ladies, see the gentle ladies at work. <coughs> Um, see, lady, see how, see how peaceful she is, how she can become angry and displeased with her only maid for getting up late, how she can take a rolling pin, give a blow on the head, and cut her head. At that point, the Buddha gives his commentary. He says, so too, bhikkhus, a monk is extremely kind, extremely gentle, extremely peaceful, so long as disagreeable speech does not reach him. But when disagreeable courses of speech touch him, then it can be understood whether that monk or nun is really kind, gentle, or peaceful. And he goes on to say, <coughs> it's actually when you get tested that you really know how you are. And so this is, um, this is in a way, uh, some encouragement for taking difficult people as offering us a chance to see what's there and also to grow. Milarepa, the great uh, Tibetan <coughs> meditator, uh, said it this way. He said, in his encounter with a number of demons, in, when he was in one of his caves, he found that there were a number of demons there. And he invited them, please, come around. We shall have tea. We shall find out what you have to say. And in the end of one passage, he actually said, I will put my head in the demon's mouth. Off, and we could say that that's offering himself to his difficult experiences, offering himself to the difficult people. And it's actually said in that story that when he did that, the demons actually all left. When he was actually willing to be present and not be reactive with the demons with the difficult people, something radically changed with the dynamic. And some of you may have found that in your own work with difficult people, that there's something about uh, our exploration of our own fear, reactivity, and so on that's at the core of this work. And that really brings me, um, that really brings me to the second main principle for working with difficult people, which is that we, when we are with difficult people, we have an opportunity to study our own reactivity. 
And in fact, we can have an opportunity to, to say, I want in this difficult encounter to see what's there in my own mind, to study my own patterns, to study my own reactivity. I want to see what basically bothers me so much. And so in my own work with the difficult uh, president, with some support and help, I found that I was able to start to see that what was um, so difficult for me was precisely that it triggered a deep reaction to not be listened to. And I could actually start to study that pattern and start to see, is there a way that when I'm not listened to, I don't just uh, basically leave the scene? Because what would happen when I would have that pattern is that I would uh, go into an unconscious um, reaction. I wouldn't be listened to, and I would then essentially um, have cer a certain kind of pain that I actually wouldn't even know was there. And I would go in, very much like when we were talking about judgments a few weeks ago, there would be some kind of pain. I wouldn't even know it was there. And I would go into a reaction whereby I withdrew and judged this guy as being um, a bad listener, and why is he president, and what's he doing there, and so on. And so we get to study with difficult people. We get to study our reactivity. We begin just by noticing that I'm being very reactive. I begin to notice the patterns. As we go deeper, we can also begin to notice that there's actually some pain there. That at every moment of my reactivity, there's going to be some pain. And what we typically do with difficult people is that my unacknowledged pain hooks into his or her unacknowledged pain, and we do this unconscious dance together. And so with practice, we been, begin to uncover what's hidden. We begin to uncover the unacknowledged pain that's behind our reactivity. We start to be able to see the patterns, first of all, then we can begin, if, we're, if we have some uh, awareness, we can begin to ask, can I actually feel the pain in the moment that's happening? And sometimes we need to, as with the practices that we talked about in terms of judgment, sometimes we need to do that investigation of those patterns with the help maybe of a therapist or with certain practices that we do outside of the actual interaction. But as we practice more, we begin, can begin to see, I could begin to see in that interaction, that there was a moment of pain at not being listened to. Normally, I would just go unconscious at that point, and automatic. We can begin to see that pain in the moment that's there with difficult people. I can begin to see the sadness, just all the phenomena that we were talking about. I can begin to feel the sadness, feel the fear, feel the frustration, and know in the moment that with this difficult pe person, there is some frustration or sadness happening. This is very, very hard work because our condition tendency is not even to feel that. It's just to go right away into our reaction. And so I think what this takes is having, when we're with difficult people, a very powerful intention that we will actually look carefully. It's almost that we sometimes need to just drop our total, we need to drop any agenda at certain times other than just learning which is very hard, right? It's very hard to do that. Can you, with your difficult person, say, I don't care, because most of our difficult people, we go through the same dance, like what, 
five times, ten times a month or something, or more, you know, people at work or whatever. Can you drop your intention to have anything happen other than that you learn from the situation? It's really saying, can I bring the intention to awaken to my difficult experiences? Because what, normally in difficult experiences, we go into survival mode, right? And can I find a way to bring the motivation to awaken into situations where I normally go into survival mode? Now this is to discern between situations which are really, really dangerous and where survival mode is appropriate and situations where we actually can uh, do some work. And I don't want to suggest that we just go into a person who's actually going to chop our head off and say, I'm here to learn. (laughs) (laughs) But actually, in my experience, I found that most of the experiences that are difficult for me were ones that I could actually go in with a different motivation. So I think that's, that's a question of discernment. That's an important question. What situations are actually workable? You know, it may be a long-standing pattern that you have with someone in your family. It may be a long-standing pattern which you have with someone at work where you can actually try to investigate what's happening in the moment and not have so much the survival motivation. And that's, that's a, I think, something that each of us has to explore. But when we have the motivation to awaken, then we can investigate the difficult experiences. And I guess the difficult experiences are so difficult because they make us feel like our survival's at stake in some way, right? Mm-hmm. Emotionally or you know, in some other way. And so can we go into that situation and, and navigate it in a way in which we're actually really investigating? We're really looking at that pattern. We're trying, and, and, and to do that, we first can see the pattern. We become, we become an expert regarding our own core um, reactivity. And you can see why this is such a powerful practice and such powerful learning, because it's taking where we're most triggered and trying to create a practice situation there. So we need to create some degree of safety. You know, and one, one thing we might do for that safety is we might really say, in encounters with difficult people, with difficult people, I'm going to really follow the ethical precepts. And I think that's another, that's a way to give some structure to the situation. With difficult people, I'm going to make a vow that I, that I use uh, so-called right speech or wise speech. I'm going to make a vow not to intend to harm them uh, and, and, the other, and follow the other ethical precepts. But in some way, we need to create the conditions so that we can really use these difficult encounters as places to inquire, as as places to study over and over again. And and in my experience, I have, um, you know, the the difficult experiences that I'm talking about are ones that actually I don't think they threaten my survival. Emotionally at the moment I might think that they do, but I've been actually able to go in at times and just say, I just want to see what happens. I don't have any agenda of necessarily being listened to with this person, right? In fact, I might think that it's actually likely that I won't be listened to. Or I'll go into this situation where I think it's likely that I'll get aggression coming at me, you know? Or that it's likely that the other person will not do what he or she says and I'll be frustrated, you know? And I can actually look at that situation and go in there 
without this, um, I guess it's a very crazy expectation that we have with difficult people that they're, even though they've acted a hundred times in a certain way, this time it's going to be different and they'll please us. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's something we look at. What, what's going on with my expectation? That, that, that's a hint that there's some unconscious material there, right? Um, didn't someone say that it was a, a mark of insanity to, to expect the same thing to happen or ex uh, expect something different to happen even though a thousand times it's happened in a certain way? Right. Behavior yeah. To expect, a different outcome. to expect a different outcome, even though the same pattern has been there. So the so we have to become students of our reactivity and find ways. And maybe we can talk about some of the ways we do this uh, in the discussion. But we have to find ways to be able to follow our reactivity and become students of it. A large part of that is learning how to be in the moment, in touch with what's painful, and to actually notice that there's some pain happening. You know, that there's some frustration happening. We have to sit there at the moment where that person's not listening to me and see what that's about for me. Oh, I'm sad. Because what usually happens is with unacknowledged pain, our mind and our reactions just go on endlessly, right? And you can study that in your sitting. You can even study how sometimes, you know, when, just when there's uh, even a knee pain, you might find that your mind just goes off, right, for 10 minutes as a way to escape the actual experience of the knee pain. You'll just, uh, we'll just uh, proliferate uh, thoughts. So we have to find some way in these interactions to feel the pain. In a way, when we start to feel the pain that's in an interaction, we stop being so reactive. We stop being so automatic. In a, uh, a phrase that I like to, to use, which is I think really at the core of our practice is, we learn not to pass on the pain. Our difficult interactions with people, typically we pass on the pain, you know, through our automatic reactions, even if we think of ourselves as righteous, you know. We, we pass on the pain, and when we touch our pain, we actually become capable of not passing on the pain. As a word, we take responsibility for our own pain. What's so tricky about difficult people is that usually there's some truth to our perception of them, right? <laughs> And we somehow think, if I'm truthful about this person being not a good listener or aggressive or something, it's as it were that excuses me to do everything, right? I mean, I, mean, I, I don't want to point too much to Iraq, but there's the same dynamics happening there. You know, this person was horrible, right? So therefore, whatever we do is okay, you know? Uh, and so we, we take responsibility for the pain and for our own reactivity, and we learn not to pass it on. And that, I think, it's actually right at the heart of our practice. And it can be a kind of at the heart of how we are with ourselves, with others. You might also note that it's at, that is the heart of the nonviolence practice of Gandhi and King. It's not to pass on the pain. Pain has been done to me or my group in the form of oppression. I do not pass it on. You know, I try to respond nonviolently. And so this working with difficult people can be an incredible, incredible lesson to us. We can also develop the ability to give loving kindness or give compassion. We can become, when we start to see the dynamics of the situation, we can see more easily the causes and conditions that give rise to the situation. 
And in doing so, it can sometimes help us to have some compassion that the other person's uh, aggression or inability to listen is coming out of certain causes and conditions. And it's actually connected with that person's pain. You know, normally when we're reactive, we don't see the other person's pain very easily. We just see our pain. We actually don't see our pain, but we just think about our pain through some <coughs> sense of projection. So when we actually get in touch with our pain, we get, we, we're more able to get a sense of the other person's pain. And we can also do certain loving-kindness or compassion practices that can help us see the, 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 pers- the other person's pain or the, other, the pain of the situation. And, and we can also reflect on the whole sequence by which we're both caught. We can see the causes and conditions. We can have some understanding to the situation. So let me, there, there's a lot more that I could say here that, I, that, I'm, that I'm not saying, but let me just conclude by trying to summarize some of the practices that we might do to work with difficult people. The starting point has to be the mindfulness practice around our own reactivity. It's at first just noticing uh, where we get caught with others. And, it, and that is a wonderful starting point, just to notice, okay, um, I'm having a difficult time, or even that was a difficult time with that person, which we may know <coughs> 20 minutes later after we have finished um, you know, 20 minutes of judging. You know, we, we have to start by being mindful that there was some difficulty. Maybe we can become more precise and say, what was difficult about that situation? And we can be mindful. Oh, it was because I got really angry. It was because I was having aggression come at me and that was really scary. There was fear. Or it's because I wasn't listened to and I got really judgmental about that. So we can start by being mindful and start to see the start to see the patterns, start to be aware of the reactivity. Start to see um, <clears throat> start to see um, all the intricacies of how we get caught. And we can also, uh, secondly, um, take on this practice of taking difficult experiences as moments of inquiry or opportunities for inquiry and learning. That's the big transformation, of course. So we can actually go into a situation. You know, and most of our difficult situations that we uh, go into, whether it's with a given person or at work, we kind of know that things are coming, right? You know, we can, we can say, okay, I'm going to have this difficult, t- uh, difficult talk with this person. Can I go in with the motivation to learn? Can I really frame my intention that I want to learn and be open? And again, I think we have to assess that there's some, um, some relative safety in that or some workability of the situation. We don't necessarily want to do that where someone's going to completely harm us. But we can go in with that, with that intention to learn from the situation. And we can also, in that kind of inquiry, in the moment, we can start to become, and this takes time, and I think this takes constant repetition, we can start to see our reactive pattern in the moment that it's happening. What that means is we have to become experts at being able to see when I start to get lost. We have to be on the lookout for the triggers we have to be, at the moment of triggering, we can say, I am beginning to be lost. (laughs) And that's mindfulness. And then, can I feel what's painful about the situation? And we gradually learn to see the subtle triggers 
that tell us, that I'm for myself, that tell me that I'm beginning to judge the president for not listening. And I'm just going off into some withdrawn space. Can I begin to notice before that when I actually have a judge, the, just the beginning of the judgments? Then can I go to actually feel in my heart what's painful in the moment about that situation? Can I really inquire in the moment and learn some ways to keep somewhat balanced and inquire into what's happening? You know, what I have found is that surprisingly, we can do a certain amount of inner work when we're in an interaction, and other people don't notice it. I know for myself, there's something that I'm almost, at, in some, some situations, almost scared to do inner work because I feel I need all my energy to protect myself, right? You know? And so there's a certain, we can do a certain er experimentation. Can I be in this situation and not use all that energy and see what happens? What I have found is that basically people are so much in their own worlds, they don't really notice what we're doing. <laughs> Try it out, because it's really, we're really trying to take these difficult moments, the starting points. We can also do metta with our difficult people. You know, we can do, and of course, those of you who've done metta in some length know that you can actually do a, a metta for a long time with difficult people. You can take, you can work with them and really shift something internally apart from the situation. This helps a lot. Another practice is to um, give the person we're having a difficulty with a gift. I, I've done this sometimes, and it totally shifts the dynamic. It, like it takes us out of something we're caught in. You might try it. Give a gift to someone, because it's very hard to give a gift and still keep <coughs> our reaction going. Right? So you can give a gift. Um, the wise speech practices, which we did a few weeks ago, are very, very helpful to give some, this is going back to the ethical container for being with difficult people. Work with wise speech. Use those guidelines of being truthful and helpful and a little bit kind if you can and, and have clear intention when you speak. I think the, the ultimate perspective that we work with when we work with difficult people or enemies is this uh, very curious um, situation that in some ways, and we may know this from our, from, our, from our practice or know this from reading, in some ways we all have Buddha nature. In some ways, and this may be difficult people test our faith, in some way all difficult people have the same core of love and compassion and wisdom, but somehow aren't realizing it. And we may not be realizing it so well either. But there's some way that as we go deeper into our own hearts, we come to know that actually that wise, compassionate, deep heart is shared by everyone. And somehow we've got in this tragic situation with a difficult person where we've both forgotten that. You know, where in some ways it's like, from one perspective you could say, the left hand and the right hand of God are fighting with each other. You know, and we don't, we don't, we don't really know that. We don't, we don't honor that. And I want to end with um, a beautiful quotation from the Dalai Lama where he expressed something like this. He was giving a talk, and at the end of the talk, someone uh, from the audience asked him, 
why didn't you fight back against the Chinese? The Dalai Lama looked down, swung his feet a little bit, and looked back up at us, and with a gentle smile he said, well, war is obsolete, you know. Then after a few moments, he went a little deeper. His face was grave, and he said, of course the mind can rationalize fighting back, but the heart, the heart would never understand. Then you would be divided in yourself, the heart and the mind, and the war would be inside you. The last, the last part? The whole thing. At the end of a talk, someone asked the Dalai Lama, why didn't you fight back against the Chinese? The Dalai Lama looked down, swung his feet just a bit, and looked back up at us and said with a gentle smile, well, war is obsolete, you know. Then after a few moments, his face grave, he said, of course the mind can rationalize fighting back, but the heart, the heart would never understand. Then you would be divided in yourself, the heart and the mind, and the war would be inside you. So I'll stop with that. Thank you very much. Please. <clears throat> I'd like to say that last thing seems really arguable to me. I mean, I know the theory, <coughs> but in that particular thing you're talking about, I think they had a, a right of self-defense to begin with. And secondly, as a practical matter, they didn't begin to have the means to resist the Chinese. So just how much of what he said truly <coughs> comes out of that place. I mean, I know it comes out of his heart, and that's how he views his relationships with other people, and I understand that he manages to have this kind of feeling with the Chinese, mm -hmm. which is incredible. Mm -hmm. But were I to have been in that particular situation and to have had the means of resistance, I'm not sure I would have respect the Chinese <coughs> plan. Mm -hmm. so, I, I mean, it's a tough one because yeah. you know, from defense to offense, I mean, there's no real difference either. Mm -hmm. <coughs> but really, um, really invites the question of um, how do we work with difficult people, you know, when I mean, this is a very extreme situation, and uh, I think I think I, I think our our laboratory is really with less extreme situations, and it's hard for us because we're not in that situation. But I think the Dalai Lama was basically uh, saying that were he, I mean, were he to were he to fight, that something would be violated. You know, that, that um, I mean, there are different <coughs> ways you can look at it. There's the um, strategic point of view of would this be useful. But I think that when the Dalai Lama talks about Tibet, he's always talked about having a principled position of nonviolence, you know. And, of course, others have fought, you know. Others, other Tibetans have fought. But the, the Dalai Lama um, is saying that... Um, he wants to, ha I think he's saying that he wants to have his deepest perspective on life be there also in that extreme situation. There was something that said that something would be split off if he, if he were to do otherwise. Well, anyway, yeah. maybe not to rest on the, the actuality of what happened there yeah. at that moment. Your basic point, I, I certainly I take it, yeah. you know, the thing that you're saying as you go along that what we need to be able to do, first of all, is to see what's going on, being really mm -hmm. aware of what, what that the real feeling is that we're having, yeah. 
you know, for instance, I'm experiencing anger yeah. behind it. Okay, it's the pain or whatever. And to be able to receive the pain and simply really just have the pain. I mean, this is what I sort of find for myself instead of going like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, I think the kind of situations that I'm pointing to are more our everyday situations of difficult people. And maybe, maybe there's some special attention needed for these kind of extreme situations, or, or maybe situations where certain kinds of survival are, are truly at stake. And maybe, maybe we have, not, not that the principle would be different, but maybe we have to look at those a little bit differently. But the kind of situations I'm talking, to, uh, talking about are more our everyday situations of having difficult people that we have all the time. And I, I think those give a, a vi- like I say, I think these give a laboratory for working with the more extreme situations. But I'm really pointing to ones um, just with uh, the difficult people at work and our family, people we're in, in everyday contact with. Right. Yeah. I like the idea of giving a gift. That seems like a yeah. wonderful yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, let's see. You, you had a question, and then, and then you. Yeah. And one of the things that really hit me was uh, the Dalai Lama showed a vision of, <coughs> of all the monks being murdered, lying dead in, the, in a field and walking through the field. I mean, it was sort of like a fear that how do you reconcile the death of all your people I mean, in that sense, the physical death? Mm-hmm. Thank you. Did everyone hear? No. I think it was really just reflecting on the, um, the situation of how do you, how do you respond to um, atrocities. Yeah. Thank you. Please. Um, in my experience with my, my challenge of difficulty, yeah. A lot of times what the problem is, is that they, they challenge my version of what I believe the truth is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, whether it's their vision of me, or whether it's their vision of life, yeah. or whether they're fill of, filled with anger, yeah. and they're expressing that to everyone. Yeah. And um, to a certain extent, I feel like if I can be peaceful within this situation, it's like I'm a spiritual warrior, mm-hmm. all right? That their vision of reality, I can't just go on and say, yep, you're absolutely right, that guy's an asshole, yeah. that guy's an asshole, that guy's an asshole. Yeah. I accept everything you have to say. Yeah. I, I have to be true inside myself and try and combat that world with a world that is a little more peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is it's exhausting. I can do that. When yeah. you, it's mm-hmm. great if... I can be so peaceful here alone by myself. You know, <laughs> I am completely enlightened, you know. But the yeah. minute I go out the door to work, where I have to work with somebody forty hours a week, yeah. and there isn't a break, hey, I can be peaceful for a couple of days, and then it gets really exhausting. Yeah. I really find myself getting very exhausting. Yeah. And the other, the other part of that is that when you really allow yourself to be open to what the other person is saying, and you see. Oh, this person is triggering 
his judgment of me is triggering inside me my feelings of unworthiness. Yeah. If you're really open, I would just burst into tears. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is inappropriate in a work environment. And yeah, I think yeah. that's why you have to kind of combat that. And, yeah. and how do you let go of your natural defenses that keep you from just falling apart? Yeah. yeah. It's, um, remind me of your name? April. April, that's right, yeah. Did everyone hear the question? Mm. It's really about just the... Um, the difficulties of sometimes really feeling, I mean, there are two points, really. One of them is that um, it's exhausting to be a spiritual warrior, which is really what's um, being invited here, right? It's to, it's to bring that, it's bring, to bring the same quality of intention and um, <coughs> awareness and inquiry that we may have in a cushion, on the cushion, or at a retreat, to bring that to um, times with difficult people. And the other, the other question, or then that it's exhausting to do that, especially when you're, especially, I guess it's, um, were you talking about you're a difficult person, you may be with 20 hours or more a week? Well, a lot of times what we are, it, we don't get to choose who we work with. Yeah. You know, and, and, and maybe that's a good thing because then we have those people there to yeah. learn from. But yeah, you're, the, you're with them 40 hours a week. So, so how do you regenerate yourself? How yeah. do you keep yourself strong? Yeah. Okay, then, and I want to come back to your second question about the, um, about how we, if we actually open to the reality of the situation, it, we might, we might express ourselves in ways which feel inappropriate. Um, those, those are deep questions, and maybe I'll, I'll say what occurs to me, and maybe others would, would also respond. Because um, I don't think, um, I imagine that none of us are true experts on working with difficult people. <laughs> you know, I think I'm, I'm very inspired because of just, in my own experience, having brought the practice into, in a very transformative way into being with difficult people. That's, um, that's, that's I think, what inspires me to, to uh, give this talk and to, to want to share that um, intention and inspiration. Um, so in terms of the exhaustion question, um, I think we have to, um, I think we have to work uh, on, our, on our own edge, which means to, to work in a way it may be to say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to be that spiritual warrior uh, a few times out of that 40 hours. You know, maybe it's to take what's workable. It's not to ask something that's um, unreasonable. Maybe it means I'm going to be a warrior at um, this meeting or this one-on-one -on -one interaction. I'm going to maybe you need to just take first take uh, take a few times when you're going to have that intention and energy that are limited in time, and the rest of the time you just do your best. You know you don't push yourself too hard, but you take a few times. It's really to find. What is our edge of learning, or what's what's the edge where we can actually um, explore some without um, being out of balance? So it may again, it may be to um, just have a few meetings. Uh, I think that I think that's that's how I would answer that. It's it's not to ask too much. It's to to go where we can where it's possible to work. And then in terms of the question of um, 
if I was really uh, open to my feelings, I would just, uh, might fall apart in, in the scene, right? If someone was actually, um, and if that's inappropriate, then don't do it. But, but, it, but how, can you, how can you open, can you open some to that feeling? I guess it's a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of my learning was to find ways, and this isn't easy and doesn't happen immediately, but to find ways to open to things gradually um, that uh, in which I'm not so incapacitated. But I think, I think it's a many-step process. I mean, one step would just be to notice that someone's just put you down in a way which really you know that you're you know that you're really, um, this has gone deeply. And then maybe, if you can, um, find a way shortly after that just to actually let yourself have the place to have your emotional response. You know, whether it's to whatever, go outside, take a walk for five or ten minutes. So I think, I mean, that's, that's a way of taking care of ourselves. Or maybe, if, if you can't do it, then do it at the end of the day. But I think to really honor that that's, that that's happened and to, I think, gradually we, we somehow find ways to, um, I think uh, this is sort of the warrior training, we find ways when we actually get more and more in touch with what's painful. I think my experience is I can more and more be present with that without it being so incapacitating. And sometimes, I, mean, I think I've talked about this in terms of speech, that sometimes there are actually things that one can say that hold one's own ground. Uh, you know that that you know for me it was with the president it was saying instead of just going on my own reaction or just you know it was learning over time to be able to say to the president you know even though internally I might I might have been going off in a lot of different ways it might be to say I'm not sure you've heard what I had to say and that's important to me and I'll keep on making that point you know and that uh, I had to learn how to, how to do things like that, which uh, formerly I would have been off in judgment land for an hour, right? So it was how do I learn, because a lot of this is learning to go, and I, again, I, I want to say that we've, in a way we could, we could spend a whole weekend or longer with this, because I think there are a lot of abilities that we need to um, develop, but it's somehow the way to be mindful and responsive in the moment to hold our ground and to gradually learn ways to be with the reactivity in a different way that doesn't that doesn't just um, get taken over. And then you know, and then there's the the inner work with whatever that feeling is of um, uh, whatever that part of ourselves is, which um, is as it were uh, believes that we're not so good. Of course, we have to do work there. So it's a lot. Yeah. Maybe actually we're at time, and I imagine we could maybe have uh, two more. What? This is a big one. This could be a day long, right? <laughs> maybe we'll. I, the the Dharma of difficult people. <laughs> yeah, we could actually. Maybe we should. Maybe we should do a day long on this. But let's do two briefly, and then we'll and then we'll close. Uh, please. Please, yeah. In the sense of. I'm very touched by, uh, really moved by the difference of balancing the um, heart and mind, and that's when you know perhaps when you are having right speech. But I remember yeah. a story, um, uh, uh, to make it short, uh, 
uh, in regard to um, setting boundaries and loving kindness and um, a, a woman who's been uh, studying at a monastery goes off into town in a cart to pick up the groceries for the monastery and on the way back a thief comes to take the cart away and take the groceries and and uh, she'd been working very hard on her loving practice, um, loving kindness practice. And so she, when she goes back, she's able to 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 get the she and a, her partner are able to get the thief off the cart by shoving the thief off the cart and continuing on their path. But when they go to the monastery and she is t working with her teacher, she's filled with remorse. Had I been more loving and kind, perhaps mm. he needed the groceries more than the monastery. Mm. Blah, blah. Teacher, she's she's wrapped with pain around this. And the teacher says to her, oh, my dear, with all the loving kindness, I would have taken my umbrella and beaten him over the head. <laughs> <laughs> In the sense, I suppose it's where your heart is aligned with the reaction. Yeah. Uh, you know, how you set boundaries, how do you, I, and on the other hand, you, you, as Jack Hornfield always teaches, you know, to, to understand that you can feel the pain and know that you're not going to, um, you'll survive it. Mm -hmm. It allows you a wiser understanding. Yeah. That the difference between setting boundaries kindly. <laughs> yeah. It may seem like a harsh reaction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. I think that's from Sharon Salzberg's uh, Loving Kindness book. Could be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's a, it took, yeah, it took place in India, I, rem I remember. Um, that's, um, <coughs> that's a great point. It's really to, it's somehow in those, it's, this, this is not to say just lay down your defenses, lay down before your opponent or your difficult person, let the person do what you want to with, you know. I mean, there's, uh, it's, it's somehow learning the balance and learning, I mean, a lot of this is skillful means, there are no formulas, right? There's the, uh, there's the great story that I know, uh, there's a great Indian story of um, uh, the cobra who decided to take on loving kindness practice. <laughs> and came back to the guru a week later and was completely battered and bruised. And, and uh, the guru says, well, what happened? He said, I just, I just um, totally was, um, people just beat me and did everything to me and I didn't do a thing. He said, and the guru says, I didn't say not to hiss. LAUGHTER <laughs> um. So last, last point, Sandy? Actually, I just wanted to add a little bit um, yeah. around April's discussion was, um, when I heard you talking about how exhausting it is, um, my teacher, I've actually been working with this with my teacher, and um, where it may not be appropriate in some situations to be that open, she, it's very important to find a place where you can be and to work with those feelings with a counselor or a teacher or a dear Dharma friend. Yeah. Um, but so that there is some place where you can go there in a safe in a safe place and it actually um it's like letting the pressure off the pressure cooker so that's a great point um abaya because um in my experience um and my experience of myself and others sort of bringing bringing sort of the the dharma practice into being with difficult people i know for myself there's always been both the actual interactions, and then there's been like the support system, and almost like I'm in training, 
you know, and I, I have the training that I work with a group that gives me support, I work with a teacher, I work with a therapist, and it's like I'm in training, and then I go out and I test myself and I do these things, but it's like my experience has been, and maybe this is partly, this really supporting your point, is that I go out there and then I bring back what I experience to the training situation or the training group. And I think that's, uh, we, we should have a spirit rock difficult person support group. <laughs> because I think it's really, I think we, uh, by oneself it's hard, so it's really, I appreciate that. So it's like, how do you, um, it's like, yeah, we're doing, we can be doing work in our sitting practice, maybe with a therapist, maybe with a small group, maybe with a buddy, a, a good friend we can really be naming the issue we're working with. And then we go out into our work or we go out into a difficult interaction. We have a certain experience and we bring the support of that group or that, that people, those people with us. Then we come back and it's more like a back and forth movement that makes the work with difficult people more like a kind of training than like, oh, here I am by myself. How do I deal with this, right? And that's really, that's a, thank you. That's really a um, sort of a missing piece in what I was saying, because that's been, that's been central for me. Do you want to continue with a variant of this next week? Yes. Yeah, okay, because I had, I had all these wonderful <laughs> stories I didn't tell. And, and we can, and I'll try to, um, we can try to connect it into the general theme of working with difficult emotions. So is that, is there a consensus on that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and that will be, I think, that'll be suitable right before. So we will have a gathering the next two Wednesdays. There's the 24th and the 31st. Um, if you'd like to bring um, younger people at home, I, ho I th hope we can make, make the, uh, the times uh, very accessible. So feel free to bring people who are teenagers or whatever. Um, and we'll, we'll stay with this theme and continue it. So I think you know what your homework is if you, <laughs> if you choose to do it or at-home practice. So let's just sit for a moment and we can set the intention. If you want to take on the practice of working with difficult people in the next week and then coming back, and this is our, we, so we are the training group, right? We're the training group. We are sent off into the world to be with difficult people or as much as you feel like, but some of, some, most of us will have difficult people come unasked for. <laughs> it's a gift. So just sitting and letting be present, whatever was, um, whatever touched one, what was most important. And letting be present your intention, if it feels appropriate, to take on to some extent the practice of um, being with, working with difficult people in the next week. And take that intention. What might that mean to you? And so we close by remembering that we do this practice not just for ourselves but for others, both those who are difficult and those who are non-difficult. 
we do this practice for others, for the healing and awakening and freedom of all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.